He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing! Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And it is U.S. Open week. And on every major week, we give you guys something special. And we definitely have something special. We have legend Willie Wood Oklahoma State legend Willie Wood coming on the show later in the show, but today I am joined by Jim Woodward and Taylor Williams. As always, Colby Powell, happy anniversary. He is taking the day off today, um, but guys, we had an unbelievable weekend of golf. I think it could possibly be the greatest weekend to watch golf ever that was not a major week, T-Dub. Yeah, so I think that whenever you throw in, let's, let's just throw major weeks and let's just throw Tiger-related weeks in there because you have like the 2018 Tour Championship, all that stuff. But, guys, I mean, this was some of the best golf weekend I can remember. I mean, because we had an event on Saturday that paid $4 million to the winner, actually 4.75 when you include the team competition. We had one of the best finishes to a regular tour event that I can remember in a while, Rory and JT, two of the biggest names in the game, probably the two biggest names still on the PGA Tour, with the exception of Tiger. And then you just had the cherry on top of it. We had the U.S. women's amateur team to absolutely dominate Great Britain and Ireland at Marion, a top 10 golf course in the world. So it was absolutely awesome, guys. I, I, I think, Woody, the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this week is it seemed like one of the biggest things that complained the PGA Tour, anyone who was against the live, was that. You know, it's going to diminish the tour. The tour product is going to take good players away from there. But it had one of the best finishes that I can remember. So I think that the one thing I take out of this, Woody, is that the two tours, in my opinion, can coexist together very easily. Oh, I think I think we've said that all along. And and, and you know what? What's kind of crazy is is if you look at these events, whether it would be the Live or the RBC. You know, we had a Justin Rose probably should have shot 59-58 yesterday and ended up finding getting it in at 60, bogeying two out of his last three holes. <laughs> so here's a guy that's not not what you call a young whippersnapper, still shows unbelievable game, almost shooting 59 yesterday. So what, what maybe instead of everybody getting worried about this, this might be a good thing. It might showcase even more good players around the world because if we really think about this, if we get right down to the nut cutting guys and we think there's only 125 guys exempt on the DP tour and there's only 125 exempt on the PGA tour, which are the two biggest tours, wouldn't we agree? Yes. And if they're the oh, no, two no, no, biggest no. tours, yeah, that's, that's 250 guys is all we got out there worldwide. Is there a superstar we're missing because he just doesn't get a chance to play? I asked that question to you. Who knows? But there might be one. 
There definitely could. I, I think there's a bunch of guys with talent uh, that we could see pop up, like, you know, a David Pooge, for instance, coming out of college or something like that. By the way, you guys kind of yeah. jumped into it. I was going to say we need to start calling our live segment the 55th hole, right? Because how did you guys enjoy the 54-hole <laughs> event plus the shotgun? Because I loved it. I thought it was great, uh, you know, YouTube, almost said great TV to watch, but it was great YouTube to watch. I Guys, I... I was, I don't know if it's just the, the newness effect from it or what it was, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really did. I thought it was very cool. The the added team element to it, you know, I'll say this, just kind of going over some things from the broadcast. You know, we talked about the leaderboard that was on the left side of the screen. Earlier in the week, it was so hard to figure out who was who because they only had like three letters by each name. But once you once the, once the week went along and you realized, you know, what name each meant and then you realized what team they were on, it made it easier. So it was, you know, obviously the last day wasn't extremely exhilarating from the team aspect because they had first, second, and third. The South American team had, or uh, South African team, I'm sorry, not South American team, uh, had one, two, and three in the tournament. It's absolutely unbelievable that that happened. Ended up getting what three million for the team and then split up uh, four ways. So, but uh, but yeah, and it was also good. I think it was better that it was in London because you know you got to watch that in the morning and then the afternoon for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday you got to watch the. Um, PJ Tour, and so you know, I obviously you can watch PJ Tour live in the morning, but it's still not the same. So I don't know, Woody. I, I really liked it. I think that it's obviously like the shotgun start and all that. It seemed like they're just trying things to be a little different, but I think that's really good when you're trying to be something kind of different from the PJ Tour. And it, it, it doesn't hurt that they're giving away all this money. That's what even watching it, you can tell those guys were nervous and they cared coming down the stretch. It's not like. Everyone's saying, oh, well, they get so much guaranteed money, they're going to go out there and not care. That didn't seem like that, it was that way to me one bit. Well, I agree with you totally. I, I, I got to tell you something. I don't care what they tell you, but if you got a putt for $4 million and, and your sphincter ain't tight, you're, you're not human. <laughs> uh, I'm going to just tell you that right now. So I think what we saw is what you said earlier, Two tours might be able to coexist. It sure looks like they can. I hope that we get out of this bashing that's going on and this this going tit for tat back and forth. Let's move on. Let's act like adults. And if this tour is going to keep going, uh, let's see what it can become. And the PGA Tour does not need to throw rocks. We know the PGA Tour is the tour, and I think all of us know that. That know, or know anything about golf? Okay, so sure. they need to. They probably need to just quit getting their feelers hurt and get their big boy panties on, and just be who they are. They're the PGA Tour. You're already the biggest, fattest event. So everything they do that throws rocks at this or brings up negatives about this. You know what? People are going to start pulling for an underdog if they aren't careful. Guys, let's take a look at this leaderboard, by the way, uh, because we did have our pizza bet, our eight-tournament pizza bet. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm who, last. Who did you guys pick as far as the team goes? I can't remember. I know I was Team Torque, and they finished fourth. I had, uh, I had Phil's team. I think they might have been DFL. No, they were in 10. I had beat uh, two teams. I was uh, I had Dustin Johnson's the Flying Aces or something like four wow. aces or so, five aces. Woody, I didn't realize this, but for one of those, so we get one point for picking an individual winner between us three, and then right. the team winner between us three. 
Team Tour right. beat four aces, your team, by one shot. So that, that got uh, really tight coming ooh, down the stretch. Wow. I didn't realize that, but I did get the point for Big. the team. Uh, and then Big. give me your guys, uh, who you guys picked as far as the individuals go, because I had Taylor Gooch in ninth. Uh, I, I think had, I got this one. I think DJ got uh, – I think he finished seventh or eighth, one spot ahead of TV. Yep, he so finished I think I got, eighth. He did. Yep. And I took that piece of crap Spaniard that I thought was going to be excited to play this tour, and he went toast on me. Bring <laughs> <laughs> um, Sergio. Sergio, I'm sorry. Yeah, you haven't figured out who I'm talking about. Sergio <laughs> Garcia. He finished 24th at six over. Um, but, guys, yeah. hey, real quick. While I was watching the golf this weekend, you know, Charles Schwartzel played a hell of a tournament, but I did think that he was anchoring. Number one, did you guys think he was anchoring like I did? Uh, and number two, is that even illegal on the Live Series? Yeah, I think that – I think what Woody said yesterday on the uh, on the radio show is exactly right. Barnard Langer, Stuart Hagestad, all these people, Adam Scott, ever since they banned the anchoring rule, they've all anchored at least ten times, do they put? I mean, do they do it every single time? No. But they, everyone who's anchored does it a couple times. And, and Schwartz was doing the exact same thing. So I think it's a little ridiculous. As far as the, the rules of live, we have no idea because it seems like all, <laughs> Charlie Hoff and all these players were so happy to go over there because they're going to be able to do whatever the hell they want. And I don't know. I didn't see anything that, that seemed very obscure to the rules. So I don't know, Woody. I think you are spot on yesterday, though, with the anchoring thing. Oh, yeah. I think I think that that's, that's almost impossible for them not to do it, and it, especially if you were in any kind of – you know, larger than normal golf shirt. You can kind of get it where it's touching the shirt and touching your chest, and you can't really even tell. Uh, I've never, I never putted with a belly. I never putted with a long, so I really don't, I don't have a full grasp of that. But you guys do realize their head official over there is a guy by the name of Slugger White. So Slugger yeah. is back in my day. Okay, Slugger White has made more rulings than you can possibly imagine in his lifetime. So. I don't think they're going to let them get away with bloody murder. Uh, I don't think it's uh, – that was a bad pun, wasn't it, with the way the thought of it. <laughs> Just a little bit, but it worked. Yeah, that, you know, that was a bad one. Sorry about that one. But uh, I don't think that Slugger's going to just open the can of worms and say, hey, guys, there's no rules. Just go have fun. So, I, you know, we're going to – hey, we, we got to watch one week. Yeah, we're going to see a lot more going on, and, and there's going to be a lot of stories. That's what's going to be fun. We don't know what's coming, and that's what's great about it. One more thing that I thought was cool this week, guys, was that Caddy Heath Holt of Charles Schwartzel made more than the player that finished fourth place at the RBC. He made $475,000, not including the all-expenses-paid trip, hotel, and free bar have we ever seen a tournament treat the caddies this good? Number one, I don't care whether you agree with the PGA Tour or the Live. The caddies should be getting this treatment regardless. I want to understand agree, Sam. I think that it's because a lot of people we talk about it all the time, right? That the grinders on the tour, the guys that grinded on the mini tours, and, and and that stuff to try to get to the tour. Well, caddies are the same way. I mean, and and they're making a lot less money doing it, making ten percent of whatever bag they're on, and. You know, just the strenuous work that it takes to carry a bag, that heavy bag, 72 holes, along with all the scouting that gets done. Um, going into it, you know, the point that I, I make to people is whenever I was out of Southern, especially early in the morning, there there was not that many players out there. majority of them were either on the practice or whatever. But there was tens of maybe hundreds of caddies out walking the course early, scouting it out. And that's every single day, guys. So these guys put in their work, Woody, and they rightfully deserve uh, the treatment that they're getting. Unfortunately, it's not on the PJ Church, it's on the rim. 
Well, wouldn't you guys love to be a mouse in the locker room at the U.S. Open this week? Or oh, out no. on the putting green, on the putting green, or wherever wherever the caddies are going to mingle and wherever the golf pros can mingle without people seeing them. I would love to know what is being said. I would love to know if somebody's going up to DJ or Phil and say, okay, tell me about this deal. What's going on? And you know those caddies are going to tell all those poor caddies off the PGA Tour. <laughs> hey, you guys, we had our own bar. We had... We weren't sleeping five in a room. We had our own bed. An anonymous caddy said he needs a new liver after last week. (laughs) (laughs) Rightfully so, three bars. So, I mean, that's, I guess that would be, I would love to hear those guys talking to the other guys, you know, because I think that would be fascinating to hear what's really said between the, the caddies and the players. What kind of insight are they really getting into it, and how much are they trying to sway somebody one way or the other? Guys, let's finish this live segment with what was your favorite part and your least favorite part of this first live event. My favorite part by far was having no commercials. I hope that you know live never takes a TV contract because watching golf, not only watching golf with no commercials, but getting to watch it all in four hours per day was revolutionary to me, T-Dub. I, I, I agree, Sam. I think my favorite part was the no commercials. Like, you mean, you get to watch golf for essentially five, five and a half hours. And, and I've talked about that. I've talked about this before, too. As a player, I absolutely hated shotgun starts. But I thought the shotgun start was, was a really cool idea, a real concept in the sense of you get to watch every player on the course at the same time. So and You're not just I watching like tap ins either. You're watching full shots. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're getting to see almost everything. And, the course was really cool, too, guys. I mean, St. George has kind of stole the show up at, uh, up at RBC Canada because it was a pretty cool course. But I really thought Centurion in London was really cool as well. Um, as far as the things I didn't like, um, I thought the broadcast overall was pretty good. I liked the, uh, the British announcer, wherever he's from. I like that. And then I can't remember the guy's name that came from the Golf Channel. used to cover all the LPJ events. But I did notice a couple of times that, you know, that they would get players' names wrong and, and they would be kind of confused on things. And it's like, I, I get that that can happen when you're on air for five straight hours, but it's a 48-person field. You should be able to figure out who the hell each person is. So, <laughs> I don't know. If I had to complain about something, I'd probably go with that. But at the same time, you know, that's not, uh, that's not that, that big of a complaint. Um, Woody, before you answer these questions, I just want to ask uh, two questions to y'all because I've been, I've been really thinking about this, right? I've been thinking about why – people are why there's such a big feud here because it seems like this this layer of the lifter just a huge onion and you keep killing it back back i've got two questions here i want to ask you guys and, and they don't have to be extremely long answers i just want to know the answer to them so it seems like the biggest complaint is that the saudis are, sport, are trying to sports wash golf right so they're trying to distract from the fact that they do horrible atrocities to people by putting money into sports so my question for you guys is who is stupid enough to think that if they pour money into golf that it's going to dilute from the economy that they do? That doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make sense to you? No, it doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. I think that politics and sports in general should be separate from each other, and that's how they have been over here, even though the U.S. government's done a lot of terrible things. But when I watch the PGA Tour, I'm not thinking about the U.S. government. And number two, the PGA Tour has done business with the Saudis in the past. And so, to me, I have no problem watching golf. I didn't feel dirty watching the live. I don't know about you, Woody. Uh, No, no, I didn't. uh, You know, that's... um 
that, 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 this is exactly what we have talked about since this thing got started. Let's separate everything out and let's just talk about golf. Let, let's not let's not go on to our political soapboxes, which we could all go on to, and 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 let's just see let's see how this undertaking goes. And the the, the answer the other part, well, I'll just three part it is. I was like you guys. I liked the fact when I did get to see some of it, I didn't have to watch a commercial. Boy, that was fun. <laughs> because I don't need a, a commercial to tell me something that I don't really care about. If I want to look it up, I'll look it up on Google or something. So I love the fact that we can just play golf and let's hope it gets to there. You know, but guys, think about something. In our country, we still can't help ourselves. LeBron James wants to try to tell me how to do things. And if he could tell me how to shoot a free throw, I'll listen. Anything else, I could care less. Steve Kerr wants to fix the whole world. And, again, I don't – shut up. I don't want to listen to you. I don't need you to tell me how to have morals. Well, I don't need somebody like Jay Monahan telling me that we're doing those guys are doing something morally wrong. Shame on him. Don't go there. Leave it alone. If this tour fails, it fails. But let's not try to bash it and do politically wise to get rid of it. Let's see what it does. This would have been a good question to ask Colby, and and I'll ask him that question and this next question. This is the last one I have about to live because it relates to what Jay Monahan was talking about because we want to get into that, that as well later on because he came on air and talked for essentially 15 minutes during the back nine of the RBC really smart business endeavors there so it's listening to him talk he even openly admitted this he said that the, the Saudi League of the Lifter it, it it has no essential business plan business model it's just kind of throwing money out there so then I asked the question I say okay well what the Saudi's going to do burn their money so it, would you rather have the Saudi corrupt government have millions of dollars or would you rather have PJ Tour players or golfers in their family? Well, yeah, obviously the golfers and the families, and that kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about next. What did you guys think about uh, Jim Nance and Nick Faldo lecturing grown men on what to do financially, T-Dub? I think it kind of goes hand in hand here. What was sad about it, Sam and, and Woody, is that it totally seemed like that they were – it didn't feel like what they were saying was really coming from the heart, it seemed like to me. Maybe it was a little bit more from Faldo than Nance. It just seemed like that they were spokesmen for the PGA Tour. That was the whole vibe I got from it. It didn't seem like anything that they said was real. I didn't believe it. Um, it, it honestly just seemed like they were wasting air. In all honesty, Woody, they were wasting our time because we got them. And the same thing that happened on Sunday when they had Matt Monaghan come on. We missed some of the best tournaments of the golf this year. It's absolutely horrible for what they're trying to do with I totally I agree. I agree with all of what you guys are saying. That's why I say we got to leave. We got to leave this out of it. And and for those guys to come on, Nance and Faldo, it's it's just what you were saying, Sam. It's like a a promotion for the PGA Tour. And we've already talked about this. We know what the PGA Tour is. We know how strong they are, and we know what they're trying to do. They're trying to squash this tour. They want this tour. Okay. Well, don't talk about that. Let's. Let's see if a guy's going to shoot 59. Uh, JT and Rory were birdie in every hole the back nine, and then Finau came out of nowhere to end up alone in second. So we had a great golf tournament. We don't need to talk about these politics. Let's let it go, like I said. Absolutely. I totally agree. I'm sick and tired of talking about the politics. I, I only want to talk about the golf. And, guys, we had a heck of a golf tournament yesterday, really Saturday and Sunday, 
the PGA Tour couldn't have asked for a better golf tournament um, than the RBC Canadian Open this week, getting Rory McIlroy winning the week before the U.S. Open. Huge storylines there between Rory and Liv and, and everything that went around. But let's just talk about the golf first, guys. I mean, Rory and JT battling it out, coming down the stretch, then Rory judging the flyer perfectly and winning the golf tournament. T-Dub, I mean, that was enthralling to watch yesterday. The PGA Tour got lucky that Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas saved the day after Liv had such a good day on Saturday. Uh, uh, they, uh, the PGA Tour got so lucky on this deal. They actually nailed it. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, now, how rightfully thank this. You know, Rory and JT and some of these guys, they were more motivated to play because of this Liv stuff. So uh, I think that's another example of how this could be better because it's going to motivate these better players who have got complacent for a while, you know, as opposed to just how the golf turned out, you know, it looked like Rory was going to shoot a 59, kind of like Justin Rose was on his way to do it. Then he, then he misses a short putt on 13, and then he misses a, a really short birdie putt on 15 to get a bigger lead over JT. Then he proceeds to hit not a very good approach shot on 16, make bogey. So we got a tied ball game, guys, going in the last two holes. And the last thing I expected to happen was Rory, or was for Rory to end up beating JT by four when it was all said and done. He went birdie, birdie. Compared to JT's bogey, bogey, I know at, at, at the point JT really didn't have much of a chance on 18, so not much there. But, uh, you know, for the fact that it was, it seemed like it was such a two-horse race, guys, and for Fino to end up finishing second, he just kind of went under the radar, shot a nice little 664 bogey free. I don't know, what it seemed like to me that, that Rory started to show us something. And the main thing that, that I noticed, too, was that what is the number one area of Rory's game that we've, we've complained about over the years? This is wedge game. Well, going into this week, he was 165th on turf from fairway approaches from 50 to 125 yards. This week, guys, he was sick. So, wow. and, and I there don't think go. it's a fluke because the, the, the swing looks different to me. It looks like, and Woody, I want you to elaborate on this if you notice anything in swing. It seems like to me that he's been able to slow his body down a little bit more and get his arms to race through a little bit more, more like releasing the club which is, I think, excellent for his iron or his wedges. He's able to dial them out, and I think he's working on something special. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. You, you, when you looked at his golf swing, that the, the problem was how do you slow that body down? Because if you looked at, at some of those tee shots he hit yesterday, gee, many Christmas, they were a long way. And, uh, so good. And this isn't any altitude or anything like that. It's just a normal old golf course that uh, he's bombing it out there 350 plus almost every hole. So that's the hard thing, T-Dub, because when you're trying to hit wedges and slide them, we all, we all of us know to play golf, you don't do it hard. There has to be some kind of taking it off, taking off something just a little bit to be able to fly the wedge. And for years, I mean, Rory struggled with that because he's got one gear, it bombs away. So, um, Brookline, just so we know, Brookline is set up to where, let's say you hit it in that deep rough and you got to hit a ball out, then you got to hit a wedge in to try to save par. Um, kind of scary way he was hitting those wedges because then there's also a lot of par fours. He'll drive it down there so far that he's got a wedge in his hand. So if he's if he's got something that he's figured out with these wedges, the, the rest of the guys are in trouble. <laughs> it's kind of like when Dustin Johnson figured out wedges. I, it changes your world. I totally agree with that, Woody. I think Rory McIlroy did something yesterday that I have never seen in the strokes gain statistics category. 
He lost .24 shots on the field putting yesterday and shot a 62. He gained 3.77 shots gained approach in round four and gained over a shot around the green, or over two shots around the greens and over a shot off the tee. He was absolutely striping at T-Dub. Have you ever seen that, where he loses shots on the field putting and shoots a 62? I think the only time I can remember that happening is uh, Corey Connors did something very similar at a tournament not too long ago. But it, that's how rare it is, Dave. It truly is. Because you look at I can't remember what hole it was on the front nine. He ended up chipping in, so that helps. And then the, the, the two missed short putts, really, and the, the three putt on, on 13, which was also one of the short ones, is leading to that stroke game putting being so down. But, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and it's, the, it's the approach that, that's so silly. You know, Gained almost four strokes approach, uh, approach to green. So it's – and it goes to show that he's figured out something with those wedges. And, you know, it's one of the things we don't see behind the scenes, guys, is that what kind of work these guys are putting in on certain areas. You know, Woody, you told a, a pretty good story not too long ago about hobbling out an oak tree, uh, working on his tipping, you know, stuff like that, hitting shots over, over bunkers. So, you know, it's interesting to see what has Rory done for his wedges. And it seems like, you know, he didn't really see the results that much, especially at Southern. It looked like he was still hitting his wedges pretty high and not able to control the spin as much. But he's been able to work through that pretty well. And he's got something special going on, guys. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins at least one of the next two majors. And in all honesty, guys, it wouldn't shock me if he won both of them. Yeah, I mean, Rory is playing probably the best golf he's played since we were since I was in high school in like 2012, right? In that area, um, because Rory, you know, he went through that stretch last year and the year before where he was trying to hit it farther. Now he just looks so in control to me, and everything looks so in sync. Like that drive on 18. How pure was that drive on 18? I can't wait to see what Rory does at Brookline. Let's talk about the golf course because I think that St. George's Golf Club could possibly be the best course on the PGA Tour of the non, you know, take the players out of it and, and, you know, maybe like Bay Hill or something like that. But I think that St. George's Golf Club is one of the most underrated courses because it rewards good shots. It is pure as all get out. Um, and, and it produced a great winner and, and a great leaderboard, Woody. What did you think of St. George's Golf Club? Uh, kind of one of those hidden gems that we don't get to see much. You know, they used to always have that Canadian Open at Glen Abbey in Toronto. Uh, and they moved it, you know, we've had that two years since we'd had a Canadian Open. That's, you know, that's what's still hard for me to believe, how much COVID screwed up everything. I mean, it screwed up the whole world, if you really want to know the truth. And we're still suffering because of it. Uh, Go fill your car car up here and see how you like COVID. Um, But if if we look at the golf course, as you were saying, what's cool about it, Sam, you could shoot 60. But if you got it in that rough and you got it going a little crooked, you could shoot 75. Yep. And isn't that really what golf's about? I think I think this week at the Open, I think they're going to try to make it as hard as they can where somebody doesn't get to double digits, you know, under par. Uh, but it, it is fun to watch guys make birdies and eagles and, and try to shoot 59. I enjoyed that. No you, know, you know, guys, I think that – oh, go ahead. Go Sam. ahead. No, I, I – go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I think that what we saw this week, guys, is what we should see from, from courses going forward on the PGA Tour because it's it's not the longest course we've ever seen, but guess what? They actually had some rough and the fairways weren't that wide. And, and what happened? I, I think on the, the final scores are going to loot from the fact that this course actually played pretty tough the first three days. It seemed like each day they progressively set up a little easier. 
and the guys yesterday just went absolutely bananas out there. So I, I think that the final scores are kind of going to loop from that. We probably should have had a winner around the 12 or 13 under range. And, and guys, that's also with pretty much immaculate weather up there. It seemed like the weather was honestly perfect all week. So I, I hope that the rest of the PJ Tour courses can take an example from St. George's and say that, you know what, if we grow our rough a little bit and maybe shrink the fairways a few yards on each side, we're going to actually make this course a lot harder and we don't have to make it 8,500 yards to try to be fair. I totally agree. I totally agree with that, T-Dub, that on just course setups in general for majors, they can take something uh, from this week. And guys, you know, after the tournament, we had one of the funniest quotes of the year from Rory McIlroy, but I think he was dead serious when he said, my 21st PGA Tour win won more than someone else. That gave me motivation today talking about Greg Norman uh, and getting one more PGA Tour win than Greg Norman. Woody, what were your thoughts? Even though I've been supportive of Liv, I loved that quote from Rory McIlroy. Well, in, in touche for him. I mean, that tells you the competitiveness between all these guys. These guys are competitive. Even if, even no matter what, even if Greg Norman hadn't gotten involved in Liv or anything else, Greg Norman was a superstar, and, and, and that was just another chunk – Check in the armor, so to speak, and he went over. It's why is Tiger Woods still chasing majors because of one guy. Jack Nicholas got 18, he's got 15. He wants to catch him, okay? That's the competitive nature of these guys. So I thought it was funny, though, when Rory said that. I'm not sure that the average person knew what he was talking about, but Jim Nance made sure to let everybody know what he was talking about. <laughs> Did you, you remember that? Absolutely. Yeah, so they're they're wanting that you know what that that tournament yesterday was all about we're gonna fire shots across this bow one after the other uh, we're gonna keep firing Absolutely. and and go ahead go you ahead. know after 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 Rory and JT were at a position to where I figured one of them was gonna win maybe Fina would win but I expected I really thought Rory was gonna win the whole time and then JT had a chance I was waiting to see what they would say after they won, right? Because I was expecting them to say something like, oh, the PJ Tour is so great. I just love it here. It's the best tour in the world. So, something like that to throw a shot. But Rory just came out of nowhere with that, and I just loved that. I, I thought it was great. And it leads into what I think could actually be somewhat beneficial. People talk about how would this grow the game. I think this would grow the game in the sense of, look, what happens in every other sport, right, when it's, especially a team concert? You have teams that you love and teams that you hate. So, so you fan like I am, we don't like OSU football, and we hate Texas football with a passion. So it's, in golf, you want to try to get to get some sort of rivalry going. So, like, I remember when I was younger, I had debate with, with Colby on, on the show as well. And, and one of my other friends, it was, you know, back 10 years ago or whatever, who would be better, Ricky or Rory? And so I picked Rory, and they both picked Ricky. And so that, for me, was a rivalry. So I could actually root against someone every week. And that's kind of turned into, into – uh, Jordan Spieth's kind of who I do that now just because my dad loves him so much, and he went to Texas. So it's pretty easy. But I think this could develop – a rivalry in a sense, and we can have sides that you root for and sides you root against, and people, some people may say that's not good for golf, but Sam, I think that's something that golf can miss for quite a while. I think we need to talk more about this after our interview with Willie Wood, because I have a lot of thoughts on this, and it kind of goes into storylines leading into U.S. Open next week, so let's do this. Uh, first, people need to go to Groove It Brush uh, on their iPhone right now. You're listening to this podcast on your iPhone. Go to GrooveItBrush.com and enter promo code 73rd hole and get 10% off your Groove It Brush, and it will be sent to you. You'll be able to clean your clubs. It's the greatest club cleaner of all time, super magnet. We talk about it every show. Groove It Brush is the absolute best brush ever made. 
Here is our interview with Willie Wood, and then we'll be back for more after the interview. Welcome back to the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma, and we have an Oklahoma State legend, Willie Wood, joining the show right now. Willie, how are you doing, and are you in Oklahoma or Arizona today? I am in Oklahoma. I got in last night uh, from Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, it's a lot hotter here than it was in, in Madison, but uh, <laughs> rest of summer and fall, and then I'll go back to Arizona. Well, for those of you that don't know, Willie Wood had one of the greatest junior and amateur careers of all time. And Willie, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read off some of your greatest accomplishments. Uh, and in 1977, he won the U.S. Junior Am, 78 the PGA Junior, 79 the Western Junior, 78 was the AJGA Rolex Player of the Year, four-time All-American at OSU, 83 Walker Cup, Willie, I think your amateur and junior career is second only to Tiger Woods. Uh, please tell me and, and tell all of our listeners just what it was like to be a world beater when you were growing up. Well, I didn't know I was how good I was, was going to be. I just loved to play golf, and I and finally started going out, out of state and playing national events, and I, I won the Orange Bowl junior in 76, and that's where I first met Coach Holder. And, uh, and so I kind of felt like, Hey, I must be pretty good. Coach Holder's giving me some attention. And, uh, and, and I just, I just love to play golf. I grew up in Louisiana and, and my father was a club pro and he put me on the putting green at a young age and I learned how to really get the ball up and down. And that helped in junior golf. Cause if you shot 70 or 71, you usually right close to the lead in junior golf, not so much before, but, um, you know, I, I'm excited to play golf and do what I love to do. Yeah, Willie, Taylor Williams here. Um, you know, one of my favorite things I like to ask elite players is, you know, who's the best, like, question, like, who's the best driver you've ever played with? Who's the best iron player? That type of thing. And I think 80% of the people I've ever asked, who's the best putter they've ever met? Uh, they say your name. They say Willie Wood. So, I guess no. my question is, what's the secret to being the best putter of all time? Uh, it's not really a secret. Uh, I... I'm a good green reader, I believe I am. Uh, I can see the line well, uh, and I have good speed. I have good pace on my on my putt. I, I rarely run it way past uh, the hole or, or leave it way short. So my speed's good, uh, and those are two very very important elements to putting: is uh, is having the right line and, and then having the right speed. And you got to hit it on your line, and uh, I don't always do that, but my my speed's good. Um, we, you know, on the championship tour, we play the pretty much the same speed every week. You kind of get used to uh, eleven and a half percent or something. It changes a little bit for the majors. Next week, going to uh, Pennsylvania to play the senior U.S. Open, and I, I think the greens are going to be really fast there, and probably with a lot of pitch because they they're old, and uh, that's how they were built years ago. So. Uh, it'll take a little get used to. Um, uh, Oak Tree is being rebuilt right now, so I got to go around town to practice. So it's going to be hard to find greens that have any kind of speed right now. But I'll do my best. And uh, the, my the best driver of the golf ball I, I ever saw was uh, was Greg Norman or Hal Sutton. Uh, they both hit it very and quite long. Uh, and I don't know about the best iron player because there was a whole bunch of them. 
of guys that could that could stripe it. Um, but those two guys stick in my mind about driving the golf ball. Hey, Willie, it's Woody. Did you play in 88 at Brookline when Curtis won? No, I did not. I played in the U.S. Amateur there at Brookline. Oh, my okay. second child, Kelby, was born that week, and uh, his middle name is Curtis. <laughs> we could not come up with a middle name. So we said, okay, whoever wins the playoff, he will either be Kelby Curtis Wood or Kelby Nick. And I was like, how about Nicholas? So we went. We were going to go with Nicholas Wood. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really glad that Curtis won because I'm not a big fan of Nick, Fal- Nick Faldo. <laughs> as it turns out. So, uh, and Curtis loves the fact that I named I hate Curtis. I named your, my son after you, and he just thinks that's great. I, oh, I, but I like to boost his ego a little bit. Yeah, like he needs that. Uh, yeah. it, it, anyway, tell us about Brookline. That that because I've never really played it. And I I was I pretty sure you played at least an amateur and open. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Tell us what they're going to expect this week. They're going to expect high rough uh, for sure. They can really grow the rough in, in the Northeast and. The routing is going to be different than what I played. We played a combination. I have more than 18 holes there, so we played a combination of holes. I think they're going to go back to the original 18, which will be a little different to my eye, but it's just still the same finishing hole. Um, a lot of people probably remember the Ryder Cup that was there when uh, Justin Leonard made the long putt on 17 to to be 16, maybe 16 to and the rally that the Americans made. And uh, Crenshaw was the, was the coach. Um, he beat Olaf Oppel, I think, uh, if he yep. sealed the cup. And uh, that was quite exciting. Although I don't, I didn't like the, everybody running out on the green. Cause Jose still hadn't putted yet. And you got the wives running on the green. And uh, <laughs> that was uh, unsportsmanship. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't go there. Um, people didn't talk about that. It was a quite, it was quite exciting. Um, but the golf course is old school. Um, I can't tell you the architect off the top of my head. It's, it's well, Gil Hans did the re, uh, the restoration to it. You know, to those last few holes that you were talking about, the new mapping of the course, Willie. So we'll see some yeah. new holes from Gil Hanson. So yep, we will. He's the new open doctor. I think he took. Uh, uh, What's his face? Place Robert Trude Jones yep. Jr. Right, right. Well, I have a I have a more broad question to ask you. Kind of while we're talking about the U.S. Open, Willie. Obviously, you finished tied for seventeenth in nineteen ninety two at Pebble Beach in the U.S. Open. And to me, Willie, over the last decade, the USGA has been kind of hit and miss to me. It, to me, the PGA of America has had a great decade as far as course setup, and the USGA hasn't. What do you think that not only this week but going forward that the USGA needs to do to make it the toughest test in golf again? Or do you agree with me? Well, I know it should be the toughest test, and it usually is, but there's a pretty fine line they got to walk on on speed of greens, and uh, sometimes they get a little, they lose them, and they get too fast. The wind comes up that they didn't anticipate. They get too dry, and then all of a sudden you got stupid stuff like, at uh, when Mickelson hit the putt that was rolling, and and then and also that happened at uh, Olympic Club years ago with a with a player on the 18th hole. So the greens, when you play old venues, 
greens have a lot of slope to them, and they they want to get them at a speed that that is substantially faster than the normal tournament speed, and they kind of get a little overboard. So USGA uh, has has a uh, has a history of oops, maybe we shouldn't have done that type of, but uh, hopefully they can correct that. I thought. Uh, thought they've done a pretty good job in the past of, of the graduated rough is very good. But the farther you hit it offline, the farther, the worse your life is going to be that other than just barely missing the fairway and you got to wedge it out. Yeah, no doubt there will. You know, as we're interviewing you currently, we have the uh, Phil Mickelson interview on in the background. Obviously, most of his questions will be regarding the, uh, the lift curve. So kind of as a current and former player, just give us your overall thoughts on the lift. I don't like anything that's going to dilute from the PGA Tour, uh, and this obviously does. Uh, it's a hard situation for some some guys because if they're young enough, they have a they have future majors to play in and and possibly win. And if they go that direction and chase the money, they may be jeopardizing that. Uh, guys that are in their forties. Uh, like Ian Poulter and Westwood, I thought it was a relatively easy because their their careers are over. Now they may they may not be able to be a Ryder Cup captain if they do that. Uh, but you know they're trading money for legacy, and it kind of depends on what is important to you. And unfortunately, we found out that money is important to to a lot of these guys. Hey Willie, yeah. Let me let me let's be hypothetical here because you're one of the only people that has this situation that could happen. I know Hayden is still chasing the dream, and yeah. we we both know the talent of this young man. To to say he's going to make it, we don't know, but he's got the talent to do it. We all know that. What would you tell him if he came to you one day and said, "Dad, I'm." I, I've been offered this live thing, and all they got right now is a corn fairy card. What should I do? Well, if he had a corn fairy card, he would not be able to uh, play in a live event and then go back to the corn fairy tour. He'd be suspended from that. So, he, or if you had or Canada PGA Tour, Latin America, you can any of them. anybody any tour under the umbrella of the PGA Tour, you're suspended from if you go to the live. If I would say stay on the Corn Ferry Tour, honestly. Even if they offered him something stupid like $5 million. Because uh, that's, where, that's where he, I would think, would want to play. Uh, right. not, not the Corn Ferry. The, the ultimate goal is the PGA Tour. Right. Not a, I think this is their exhibition. I don't think they're anything more than, than an exhibition for a lot of money. <clears throat> There's no TV coverage for you have to really hunt to find it, and it's kind of a kind of a joke. <laughs> it's it's a it's a lucrative joke, is what it is. Um, I hope that the the tour and the the, the DP European tour. I hope they continue to play hardball. And, and it's just, not growing. It's not growing the game. Willie, one more question because we talked to Woody a lot about this since he played on the PGA Tour, and I want to get your thoughts on this too. If they when they do play hardball, like you say that they're going to do, what like what stance 
do you think the PGA Tour has to stand on if the live guys say, well, we're independent contractors? What What would you say if you were on the PGA Tour side? Every year when we sign a we sign one every year. We have to play by um, certain guidelines, bylaws of the PSP Tour, and one of those uh, guidelines is you have to uh, make a commitment to the PGA Tour, and if you want to go play elsewhere, you have to get a a release. Uh, and they also our our um, our image, but our media rights to promote. Uh, to get purses to the, the size that they are, they're, they're they're trying to sell this to corporations as title sponsors. That you'll have playing in your event, they won't be playing elsewhere. They won't they won't be picking and choosing. I mean, if think about Herschel Walker went to the uh, New Jersey Generals back in the USFL days. What if he was a member of the of the uh, Dallas Cowboys and he said, you know what, I want to go play a couple. Uh, games for the New Jersey Generals, and then I'll come back to the Cowboys. No, you can't do that. You, we got rules. You can't do it. And they now they could do it. I think if they don't next year, someone someone needs to they have to uh, stay in their their word, their contract with the PGA Tour till the end of the year, and then they've got they can start all over and go to the live tour if they want to, and that they wouldn't be violating their contract. They're committed this year to those that, that were members. Uh, unfortunately, I think, I think Gooch made it by doing it. He, his, his potential was upward, and he's jeopardizing that. I think Hudson Swafford went too early. Kevin Na, maybe not. Well, he's like, he's like, Kevin Na's like 39 years old. But the young guys, they they probably make. It. Yeah, I definitely like that insight there, there Willie, for sure. Let's let's kind of switch gears back to the playing side a little bit. I want to go back to 1996 when you won your uh, your tour event down there in Mississippi. What what kind of clicked for you that week? You shot 20 under, which is absolutely remarkable. So kind of just tell us about that week and uh, you know everything that transpired there. Oh, I've been playing the um, I think it was a Nike tour at the time, Corn Ferry now. Um, and was trying to finish in the top whatever 20th to get my tour card. And uh, I had the opportunity to go play in Jackson. I've been playing well, been traveling with Andy Dillard, and, and he and I have been having a big time uh, week to week. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I just uh, – I like Annandale, and I, I, I was hitting the ball very, very well. Greens um, were – kind of slow bent grass and I started making putts and everything fell together and it changed totally changed my um my schedule because I went like no more no more Nike tour I am uh going to Boston next to play in the Bank of Boston championship and it, it, it I stayed on the and stayed out there for four years before I lost my card again and um but it uh it made a big impact on my career, for sure. Got me in the Masters. I played three of them after that, so that was that was big. I mean, <clears throat> majors are important, and what some of these youngsters don't realize is that if they, if they play at the Live and only the Live event, they're going to lose lose world ranking points 
and their opportunity to play in majors is going to uh, diminish also. Yeah, and that's a big risk. I, I, I hear where you're coming from there, Willie. I We don't know. That's the crazy thing about this deal is if it's what it's going to do in the next year or two years, we're just all going to have to wait and see. And uh, those guys that jumped, that was a bold move. But let's touch base on something that I think is still impressive. I, I saw where you shot five under this week up in Wisconsin, tied for 31st. Yeah, I know that's not as good as you want to play, but you've had injuries. I know you're pushing 60. I'm 61. You're 61. Okay, (laughs) there you go. So you pushed it and went past it. I'm pushing Um, 30. How how long do you think you want to keep playing? Woody, I have taken retirement, and I am, I guess you'd say semi-retired right now. I'll I'll get in – five or six events this year and that's that'll be it and it'll be about next year and then they're kind of they're, they're slowly uh, completely going away guys turn 50 and they, they push someone down push me down the list and um health wise i'm okay uh, last week i was i had some some issues with my wrist and my my back but the physical therapist brought me back they resuscitated me pretty good, and uh, <laughs> I hit it all right. Uh, I hope I have a good week at the senior. I mean, yeah, at the senior uh, open up there at Stalking Ridge, Stalking Valley, sorry. But uh, it, it, it's oh, it's pretty much over for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's okay. I, I can't get in that many tournaments, and I played a hundred and seventy something, and uh, I played almost eight hundred in my career on all wow. three tours so it, it it was a fun fun run Willie let's talk about part of that fun run real quick because I mentioned that you were a four-time all-american we had Bob Tway on a couple weeks ago and I asked him to tell us a Mike Holder story and it ended up with him wrestling with Bob yes. Tway uh, on the driving range, I was curious, and I, and you're a great storyteller. I've heard you tell many stories. I need some Oklahoma State golf stories from Willie Wood. He never wrestled with me because I'm so small. I think he probably <laughs> he probably thought he could handle me. And, and uh, I was not there for the wrestling match with uh, Bob, but I was there for the wrestling match with Andy Dillard on the uh, 10th tee box. Stillwater Country Club. If you want to wait for Andy to tell that story, we certainly can. But uh, God, Holder, he, he was something. He, he and what do you know? He was, uh, he's so competitive, and he got so mad when we didn't win. And it was amazing that I mean, and he was such a sweetheart when he recruited me. And then all of a sudden, I got under his wing, and he. He was not a sweetheart at all. <laughs> what happened to that guy that recruited me and spent time in my living room? Oh, what do you want me to do? You, you kiss your butt all the time? I was like, no, I just want, I just want you to be nice to me. And, and uh, gosh, yeah, he took Andy down at Stillwater Country Club, and, and uh, they had a, they had a nice in front of two recruits that obviously, that obviously didn't go to school there. <laughs> because that was not to see your coach, the potential coach, do. Uh, you got a phone call from a member the next day saying he, he saw Andy Dillard getting the best of him, and that really made him mad. 
Um, but, um, what you were there for two years? I know I was actually there for four years. I redshirted one year. Okay. So I only played three years and, uh, you should have been there my freshman year, but you left early. Yeah, I had left or I had left. I had one more year of eligibility, but I left when you were coming in. Uh, you know, we played the Southeast Amateur together that summer and stayed at that house. But, uh, and, and Willie, I, the crazy thing is, Sam, every one of these guys we get from Oklahoma State, you're going to ask that question, <laughs> and there's every one of them that's going to have a different story. I'm just going to tell you. It doesn't matter which guy, which guy you ask. It. Our coach, God loving, had his moments where he would step off onto a uh, dark side, and, and we wouldn't know who it was. And But, Willie, I, I think he hit the nail on the head when he's recruiting you. Golly, he's a sweet man. He's he's a salesman. When he'd walk in that in the lunchroom at Iba Hall, and you could see that look on his face, like, "Uh oh, he's in a bad mood." How how fast did we eat our meal and try to get out? Because <laughs> oh, knew he was going to chew us out for something. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I got a lot of demerits for having a messy room. Uh, a lot of demerits, yeah. and a demerit would turn out to be. He made me run because he knew I didn't like to run. Whatever you didn't like to do, that's what your demerit was. Uh, you know, if he, if he made me come to the golf course all day long, that did that wasn't a a, a factor to me. That's what I was going to do anyway. But he he might make Andy Diller do that because Andy didn't like to go. He wanted to go fishing. Uh, so uh, he, he was he was something. <laughs> <laughs> Willie, you know, when, oh, go ahead. When coach, sorry, when when Hayden went to school there, um, I was ready to, and Coach Holder was the AD. I was ready to have an, a, uh, I don't know. What to call it. I was gonna. I, I had a speech prepared for Coach Holder, but Coach Holder was nothing but but fantastic to Hayden for his whole five years there. He was wonderful. And he 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 was more of a, a father than a bully than a bully. <laughs> he was great to, to hate him, and and I commend him on that. He's he's become softer over the years. Yes, that is awesome. As he aged, yeah, you know, as he aged, he got a lot better. Uh, and Sam, I don't mean to interrupt no, you. No, go but ahead. We, we have I to, love it. We have to ask. I have to ask Willie. And Willie, we're a podcast, so you can tell the story. I mean, maybe not. Tell you can, story, you can but, say whatever you want, and we can cut it out if you want us to cut it out. Yeah, I, I know we, what we Woody's do about to ask. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, still, I still laugh, and I'm still giggling right now as I'm getting ready to ask the question. You played a Masters one time with Arnold Palmer, did you not? Yeah. And, <laughs> and there was a part of that round back on the back nine that I'd like you to tell our audience. You because kidding? Very few, that. Well, very few people – even got to meet Arnold Palmer, let alone play golf with Arnold Palmer, let alone play golf with Arnold Palmer at Augusta National. You need to tell this story because I think it'll make people understand just how much Arnold Palmer is the king and how down to earth a man he really was. Well, okay, we, we played Thursday and Friday together, and on Thursday I was kind of grinding it out, trying to play good, I was been struggling a little bit in '99, and uh, he, he was just kind of in his own little world. 
and walking along the ropes and, and high-fiving people and shaking hands and looking at the ladies. And uh, He comes up to me on Friday, and he puts his arm around me and says, uh, Willie, are you mad at me? I said, no, sir, I'm not mad. He goes, oh, good. I, I thought you were mad. I said, no, I'm just trying to make this cut. I'm, I'm sorry. And I think to myself, man, I better be, I better be a little more friendly. Uh, I mean, so I, I started engaging in conversation with him. And by the back nine, we got, we got pretty, pretty close. He, we started talking about the ladies in the, in the gallery and, and this and that. And he liked that. And, um, I saw him, I, I saw him about three months later and I said, Hey, Mr. Palmer, I just want to apologize. I was going through a divorce at the time and, um, I wasn't myself. And he goes, you know, I knew there was something wrong. Are you doing okay now? And I said, yes, I am. I'm doing fine. Thanks. Uh, and the fact that he cared, uh, it, about little old me was amazing because he was, he was the king, and that's why he was so loved by people, because he, he truly cared about people. And uh, I, I wish I had gone to his funeral, because he, uh, he meant so much to, to the game of golf. It would have been, it had been <clears throat> something I really wished I had done. Yeah, that's good. That, that, I think any of us that were fortunate enough to meet Arnold Palmer in person uh, all walked away that same way for, after meeting him. Yeah. No doubt. Willie, I, I got one more for you here, and it's, it, it is about Hayden. Obviously, I grew up with Hayden Wood, and now he is trying to make it you know, on the PGA Tour. Coming from – how did you approach being a father who was so good at golf? Um, and that's one of the reasons why I respect you so much is because you never pushed Hayden to play golf. You, you allowed him to want to play golf. Talk about growing up – or having Hayden grow up – in a house of a PGA Tour player, and how you approach that as a father? I, I having three sons, I, and two of them weren't interested at all in golf. I really thought I was going to have a third one that wasn't interested either. He he was like playing other sports, uh, football, hockey, baseball. He liked to do it all, and uh, I just kind of assumed he wouldn't. I gave him every opportunity to uh, with clubs and and. Uh, living on oak tree and but then all of a sudden one summer day he says uh i want to play in that it must have been a south central event at kickenberg and he played and shot 52 or something and and you guys shot 37 and nick shot about 37 or eight and like and he says i want to be a golfer now i go well you bet you need to get, <laughs> get the, get to work then it just doesn't it's not that genetic there's hard work involved so he, he from that point on started playing with you guys all the time even though he was way behind in, in uh being in skilled level you guys loved it from the start it just took him a little bit longer to, to fall in love with it um but you can't push especially in golf golf is is such a a sport that you really got to enjoy doing it and which is why you know i excelled and you've excelled sam and woody because you you like it and uh, you can't <clears throat> i've seen a lot of kids that just that hated it and mom and dad pushed them and pushed and pushed them and finally they're done by 15 
and it, that's a shame. But we're lucky. We're very lucky to have this game to, to do for the rest of our lives. Yeah, he's, still playing. he's still playing and, and trying, and uh, he's going to give it a few more years before he might try something else, as in making well, money. <laughs> making money. <laughs> well, and Willie, we all there's none of us that have never played have ever played the game that hadn't struggled. We all know that. Right. I think it's right. I think that you know as well as I do that just making him tougher. And even if he doesn't make it on the PGA tour, it's not the end of the world. It'll make him a better person. And that's uh, that's what I'll end you with. We're going to let you go. We've kept you long enough. But you know, I I love doing this podcast with these young guys. Because they've got the connection with all the younger guys. I've got the connection with the older guys. And I like people to hear our stories of what golf has, how much it's changed and where it's going. And, and to have guys like you and Bob, and uh, we're going to get Gil on a few other guys, it's just fabulous. And I can't thank you enough for your time. Tell Hayden good luck for all of us. And uh, you take care of yourself, buddy. Well, thank you. Let's, let's, we look forward to a great U.S. Open this week. No doubt. Hey, Willie, real quick, I forgot to ask, what do you think about the changes at Oak Tree? What, what, what do you think about them going to Bermuda and all that? I think that it could be really great. Uh, it, the greens are going to be firm and fast throughout the summer. And, you know, we've noticed we, they've been soft and spongy in the summertime. So it, it could change the complexion back to Oak Tree being uh, one of the harder golf courses in the in the region, if not the country. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, Bermuda has come a long way since I grew up on it in Louisiana. It's, it, it can be a great surface to cut on, and uh, I look forward to it. Well, Willie, thank you so much for joining us today. I wanted to get that in there because we spent so much time together out at Oak Tree, and I can't thank you enough uh, for being so nice to me and all my buddies over the years, uh, just always out there at the golf course like a father figure to all of us. I really appreciate everything you've done, Willie. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me Thank you, Willie. Thanks, Willie. See ya. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back on the 73rd hole. Thank you so much again to Willie Wood for coming on the podcast. Greatest guy in the world. Woody, by the way... Why are you trying to get Willie to say that story? I mean, that was, <laughs> you made him go politically correct on us. Come on, Woody. 
<laughs> well, I, 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 you know what? I, I can't tell the story now because it's Willie Wood's story. I but know that's why I'm not trying the, to get you to. T- I don't want you to tell a story. I can't uh, believe you brought probably, it up. To him. It probably should be in the vault. Well, well it's, because, it's definitely let me in the just vault. Tell you something. Hey, I'll, I'll just tell you that that we got a great story because of it. Uh, I got to talk about Arnold Palmer. It wasn't the Arnold Palmer story I wanted, but <laughs> we did. We did get an Arnold Palmer story that was. I mean, it. I swear to you, Arnold Palmer. If you, I don't know if you guys ever got a chance to meet him. He was kind of like my Tiger Woods to you guys. And uh, man, when he shook your hand, he looked you in the eye. He he was the only. You were the only person that mattered. He he genuinely was that kind of individual that was just so dynamic. I just can't explain it. And the story Willie had was really a good one about what he did for him about talking about hey if your times are going to get better but it didn't even close to the one he was going to say <laughs> <laughs> all right guys let's uh let's focus in on the u.s open um and before we do that by the way go visit our friends at ring family dentistry they are the best dentistry in oklahoma city i know them personally doctors phil and brennan ring will get you taken care of if you need any work done on your teeth all to Decisions are made by the patient at Ring Family Dentistry. All right, guys, let's get into the U.S. Open. And, you know, before our interview with Willie Wood, I brought up or T-Dub brought up um, some good points that I thought kind of led into storylines and rivalries this week at the U.S. Open. I mean, guys, the top storyline to me, and T-Dub, I'll start with you, has to be, like you said, the live PGA Tour rivalry. If somehow we did have a Dustin Johnson versus Rory McIlroy coming down the stretch, that would be a legendary tournament, right? And it's, yeah, 100%, it would be, it'd be absolutely epic. And like I said, I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it, right? And I, like I noticed this second ago, I saw the pairings come through, you know, James Pyatt, or however you pronounce his last name, he uh, won the USA last year and he played in the live last week, he paired with John Rahm and Colin Morikawa. So, you know, just for me, literally just the first thing I thought of when I saw that was, well, that, that's a young live guy who's, who really had not much experience playing against two PJ Tour guys who are the best in the world. So that was just an extra element to the rivalry thing I've talked about. And like, I understand that Liv doesn't have that many, you know, that many good players right now. And all honesty, the biggest thing is probably Phil Mickelson, who I, I think that guys, we can all probably solemnly agree doesn't really have much of a chance to win this week as cool as that would be, but, and, and we had his press conference on, we were interviewing Willie, so I'm really interested to go back and listen to that and see what he had to say, but yeah, I mean, Woody, I want to hear your thoughts on that, because you played on the PGA Tour, you know, what are your thoughts on having rivalries out there? Oh, I think it's good, I think that's another great thing for the game, uh, you know, and, and whether it's the live thing, it really adds to it. We had pretty good rivalries just with player against player when they were all just on the PGA Tour. So uh, to add this little <laughs> tidbit to it, it, it will be uh, it will be quite exciting. It, it, I said to you guys during our commercial break, wouldn't you love to be a mouse inside that locker room where those guys don't have press around and they can get side to side with each other and some guy can ask, hey, really, what's going on? And, you know, he can talk to them without having to worry. And those caddies, can you imagine what those caddies are talking about around those putting greens where those other guys are telling them those stories? That, hey, we had a free bar all week, and we had this, and we had that. So, uh, dang, it almost makes me want to get a ticket to Brookline. 
And guys, I, I'm sitting here reading the transcript right now of Phil's press conference that just happened. Uh, we're recording this at about one o'clock Central Time here on Monday, um, and I think Phil's most, you know, probably his most popular quote going around Twitter right now um, is him talking about moving forward. And he says, "My preference is to be able to choose between Live Golf and the PGA Tour." He wants to have control over both, uh, whether he plays one or the other or both. And and I think that that's kind of what T-Dub was saying at the start of the show, that I think Phil understands that these tours can coexist. And and they absolutely can. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was extremely telling yesterday from from Jay Monahan when he talked was is that they asked him, right? He he beat around the bush on almost every single question. But they asked him, he said, you know, what, what was really the main reason behind, you know, banning these players? And one of the main things he said was was that they wouldn't be able to meet their their criteria when it comes to events played. That was one of the things he alluded to in, in that. And from my understanding, it, you, you, a PJ Tour player has to play 15 events a year, right, to, to be able to meet the minimum. And maybe it's 16, it's, it's somewhere around that mark, never left. And the first thing I thought of was is that, so there's right now there's eight events on the live. I know they're scheduled to have some more, but there's only eight. And it's like if someone wants to play both, they could easily play eight eight times on there and then play fifteen over here. That's twenty three events a year. There's plenty of guys that play twenty three events a year. So I don't know what he just seemed like a, a bunch of crock a bunch of crock on that aspect. But uh, but yeah, I just think that there's there's just so many elements to it. I don't even know where to start. Well, there are a lot of elements, and they just—they just keep. We keep getting more. I mean, that's going to be what happens with each passing week. We're going to get something else to happen that's going to uh, give us something to talk about. Phil's going to take the high road. Good for Phil. He's been—he has been beat up, gentlemen, uh, for four solid months. That poor guy has just taken one bludging after another. So he wants nothing better than just to play a little golf and go away. So. Uh, we owe it to him to let it, let him go away and do what he's going to do and coexist. Not yet. <laughs> they, they're 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 still too angry at each other. This is like uh, this is like the start of a divorce before you go into the, the maybe the settling stage. And and they don't like each other right now, so it's not going away. They're not going to be. They're not going to play well in the playground. I'm just telling you. A hundred percent. And whether Phil says the right thing or the wrong thing in whoever's minds, he's still going to take shots this week. I mean, Kyle Porter is one of the guys, you know, that works for CBS Sports, actually. Um, but he's one of the guys that is pretty, you know, cut and dry on, on Twitter and kind of just says what people, what he sees and what people say. But, I mean, even him today is out here tweeting that, you know, Phil doesn't seem like the same person, one of the great talkers and characters in golf history, and he's been reduced to a silhouette with a microphone in front of him. Difficult to watch. Like, so whether Phil says the right thing or the wrong thing, people are going to take shots at him this week. Um, I mean, guys, I, I don't know if you have anything else on Phil, but um, go, going forward, I, just my, my final thought is, you know, Phil – <laughs> he's in trouble this week because he's going to miss the cut and he's going to take a lot of shots, is my point. It's not going to be a good week for Phil. I think the only saving grace, I want to get y'all's opinion on this, are the crowds going to be receptive of him or are they going to be kind of negligent to him being there? I, I personally think they're going to be pretty pretty happy there and, and kind of cheer him on from time to time. What do you think, Woody? Well, let's just ho- let's say this. I'm glad it's not New York, okay? Uh, but New York loves think, Phil. They I, love Phil, right? 
Yeah, New York doesn't love anybody. Don't believe that. He probably can throw this building. Um, <laughs> I'll just I'll just say that Boston traditional old golf course. I'm, I'm thinking the galleries will be kind. I, I really hope they are. I, I the last thing I want out of this deal is for there to be any form that takes away what we've always said is the greatest thing about golf. It's a gentleman's game. We can all disagree, but we can all get along and shake hands when we're done. If this turns into MMA, I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah, and, you know, one thing from just from my perspective, I've heard a lot of great things from fans as far as the live goes. They don't really care. I think the main people that care are the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour players that are staying, and the golf riders. And, and unfortunately, the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour players that are staying, and the golf riders all have extremely large voices in the golf community, T-Dub. Oh, and that's, that's what you see. You see it in every element, right? So, honestly, the bigger voice, the kind of bigger people you can reach, the more of an impact you'll have. And the tours have that. And, you know, like I said, it's, from a business perspective, even though I don't agree with what they're doing, with, I understand it because you don't want all your players to leave and your product is getting to lose, even though you can be a lot better, it should be a lot better. So uh, I, I definitely think that it's and – we, and we've all said this a hundred times, right? There's so much more that's going to go into this and what comes. But I just I think that at the end of the day, it's, you're going to have to find some way to have these two tours coexist, and I think that they can. I honestly think that the PGA Tour and the golf riders, like you mentioned, are causing a lot more harm than they are good. At this stage, I couldn't agree with you guys more on that. I think I think both of you, what's impressive to me, as young as you and Sam are, and I'm going to throw Colby in there because he's not here to defend, but and we got to remember one thing about Colby. We've bashed him the last couple of weeks. We've been hard on our poor buddy Colby. Colby works for the Golf Channel, guys. Okay? You got to be real careful when you work for anybody. What you guys were just talking about is a fact. Golf writers, NBC, ABC, I don't care if it's a network or anything that has to do with PGA Tour. Those guys got to be real careful what they say. So, as we move forward with this, okay, the best thing we can all do is try to get along. And I think you need to include the DP tour with this too, guys. We talk about this. Why not all three of these tours figure out, okay, we have right now world golf championships, right? Okay. Right. There's how many of them are there? You guys help me. Cause I don't know. I think three now there used to be four, but there's only three now. Okay. So what if we, what if we get rid of a couple of PGA tour sites, do something good with the sponsors that are involved in those. And we have uh, 10 world world golf championships that include the live. Um, there's, hey, you can't tell me there's not a way to work this out. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot brighter minds than all of us. They've they got to be able to figure out how to work this out, okay? And they need to. Let's do it as quick as we can. So this doesn't turn into a cluster. It sounds great on paper, Woody, but I don't think that they ever will work it out because they are using the excuse of the political government in Saudi Arabia, and, and that's the excuse that they started using once they realized that Live Golf was going to be a competitor. And so if they ever backtracked on that, it would make them look just as bad as they're trying to make uh, live look right now and and I don't know I, I think that that's why it'll never work out and coexist like Phil or everybody wants it to T-Dub and, and uh, you're 100% right there and, you know we had this talk last week with, with Colby it led to a, a pretty big one of the biggest feuds 
on the history of the show, Colby was begging for honesty from the players as to why they left. Well, we should demand the same honesty from the PGA Tour. They have not once come out and said it. It hurts our bottom dollar. That's why we're so pissed off at it. And that's literally the only reason they care. So I, I feel like if we're going to demand honesty from the players, you got to demand honesty from the PGA yeah. Tour. Spot on what we got to do with it, period. 100%. Let's get to the golf this coming week, guys, and, and we'll obviously do a full preview on Wednesday of the U.S. Open and do our full player preview like always. But, guys, we talked a little bit about it with Willie Wood, but what are you guys expecting? And, T-Dub, I'll ask you the same question that I asked Willie about the USGA and their setups over the past decade. I don't think that they've been as good as they could have been. Um, last year was pretty good as far as the leaderboard goes. Torrey Pines always produces a solid leaderboard, but it was a pretty boring golf tournament. But I'll take that for a U.S. Open. But I won't take, like, Chambers Bay and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, what do you, what do you think that the USGA needs to do this week to make uh, this week a success as far as course setup goes? I, I agree with what uh, with what Willie said. Whenever he expected there to see a lot of rough, I think you're going to see that. It's not 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 an overly long golf course. You're not going to get out there and overpower it. It's not necessarily we talk about wing foot and really set up for Bryson. But I don't think Brookline is a course that would set up well for him either. And so you know, just going into the setups like you mentioned, Sam, I think you're exactly spot on because. You know, your dad, the Huntman, made a good point yesterday. It's like, yes, the setups haven't been that good, but they've at least had some pretty good winners win. So, I mean, I think that's pretty right. telling in speed. DJ Kepka twice, uh, Bryson Rom, those guys. Woodland kind of thrown in the middle. But whenever I just remember watching the tournament, that, that's what really got me. It's like, like yes, okay, for example, Aaron Hills and Chambers Bay are the main ones that stick out. But, you know, I look on it as well, too, and you just think about the excitement factor of it. Bryson won by six. Uh, Kepka won by four. DJ won by three, and that was with the freaking penalty or whatever he had. Uh, Martin Keimer, Pinehurst, as soon as they restored it or whatever, he won by eight. Uh, Rory won by eight at Congressional. So it's like maybe this has to do with maybe some of the – that's the question that, that I'm trying to figure out is, were those leads that, that ended up like that, were that, was that because of the course or was that just because one player played better than everyone that weekend? It, it's just hard for me not to blame the course setup a little bit, even though somewhere like Oakmont was – see, that's an example where I think DJ just kind of went out and ran away with it. But but Martin Kimer won by eight strokes. I understand he was number one player in the world at one point, but that was a pretty lackluster event as well. So I, I don't know. I think that it's a combination of everything. But what the USA needs this week, guys, they need long rough, they need firm greens, but they also cannot cross the line like they did at Chicago and some other tournaments, uh, Olympic Club a few years ago. And you got ball, people putting balls off the green, stuff like that, or, or pin locations are just unfair. You can't have that stuff. So and that's something the USGA's had a battle with as well, too, because they've been so scared of doing that. I think that's what's led to some of the easy course setups over there. So I think they got to ride that fine line, Woody. But it, that, there's a reason it's called a fine line, because it's fine as hell. Well, and, and any time the U.S. Open, the U.S. Open is probably more historically made that fatal mistake of, you know, whether it be Shinnecock or Olympic Club or there's been more than one occasion where those guys made a little bit of a mistake either getting the greens. Mostly it's been their greens. They get the greens going too fast and they can't control them. So, But I'd the rather open, it be too hard than too easy, right? I, I, I'm with you yeah. there too, Sam, because this is a fine line we're talking about. I mean, it, we've all played a golf course that you think is set up pretty good. Then the wind changes or it, it gets to blowing real hard or rain comes and softens. And, you know, that's why golf's so good. We don't play it inside a dome. 
we don't know what's going to happen. And so I give credit to USDA in one way. They push the envelope as far as they can, but they got burned a few times. So they kind of got back on their heels and they're a little gun shy now compared to what they used to be. They used to just, they used to have that attitude. You don't like it tough because to you because we're going to make it like this. So they don't do it as bad as they used to. That's what's cool. And T-Dub, obviously the country club at Brookline was the home of the 1913 U.S. Open. Greatest game ever played for anybody uh, who doesn't know their golf history. Francis, we met, or uh, or what, what was the actor's name? Uh, <laughs> give it to me, T-Dub. Uh, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf won that 1913 U.S. Open uh, over uh, Harry Varden. Um, but Guys, I, we, we've, we've seen a bunch of videos of the golf course t- so far today, and, and holes like number nine have a fairway that is sloping so much that balls are rolling from the middle of the fairway into the water. So players are already starting to kind of complain a little bit, and, and I love it. I think that this is the one week out of the year where the golf course setup should be allowed to be on that line or even a little bit over the line. I want it to be the toughest test in golf – and, and when we've had years, whatever it be, like Chambers Bay or when Bryson went out there and made Wingfoot look like a pitch and putt, I, I'm tired of seeing that. And, and I think that the way you get that kind of reputation off of you being the USGA is to go to courses like a Brookline, like a Marion, where you have shorter courses with longer rough, narrower fairways, smaller greens. I think that that is where the U.S. Open should go. And T-Dub, tell the people about their new rotation that they have for the USGA and kind of, they're kind of agreeing with us a little bit saying, Hey, we screwed up and we probably need to go to like certain venues in certain years. Yeah. So they've kind of limited the rotation course, but they're going to do four. They've, they've highlighted courses like Shinnecock, uh, Pebble Beach, uh, Pinehurst, uh, Oakmont Marion's kind of in there as the future side. So they're doing exactly what you're saying, Sam, of trying to, uh, you know, just kind of solidify a rotation and not just try these, you know, kind of, all, you know, once uh, every two decade course. Because it hasn't seemed to work out very well. I think next year is going to be really important to see what the USGA goes for. Because this is an L.A. Country Club, which is, of course, it hasn't held a, a major in some time. And it's also Gil Hans restoration as well, just like this course and Southern Hills was. So let's just say, for example, next year something happens and it doesn't go particularly well. I think that that's going to even solidify the USGA more of trying to get the future sites solidified at the particular courses. And, you know, just to add on this point, I was talking about this this earlier about is the margin of victory have to do with the course or just the players. And so I look at this, guys. From ni- from 1971 to 2000, and, or I'm not, yeah, till 2000 when Tiger won, there was only three times or two times that any player won the U.S. Open by more than two strokes. And the big of that was three. Three strokes was the mar- largest margin of victory in a 30-year span. Since 2000 when Tiger won, not even including his, we've had, Upwards of, I believe, eight times that someone's won by more than three strokes. And wow. we've had an eight in that. We have two eights in there. We've had a six in there. So I don't know. It's hard for me not to pinpoint the courses on that a little bit. So I think that's been one of the things that the Lutz tournament, Sam, we, I just read off a three decade period. Yeah where we had very intense golf tournaments, and we haven't had that very often in the last uh, last few years. Yeah, and we haven't had courses tough enough to have guys melt down on the back nine, right, Woody? Well, yeah, but I'll tell you what, guys. I I can tell you about that L.A. North they're playing next year because I, uh, I actually won the Southern California section championship there. That son of a gun, it's, it, it needs to be in rotation all the time. You guys are in for a real treat next year when that opens play there because – it's a hidden gem. Nobody knows about this place. I mean, it's uh, 
it's in the middle of downtown LA. Um, you would never expect a golf course there, let alone a golf course as good as this one is. So um, I'm excited more about next year than this year, to believe it or not, because I want to see what they do to that golf course. But <coughs> Brookline's going to be a heck of a test, guys. It, it it was a great test for the for the Ryder Cup. It was a great test in 88 when uh, Curtis won there. So um, I look forward to this. So it's going to be a good week. All right, guys, we'll do our full preview on Wednesday, but let's end the show with this. T-Dub, I'll ask you first. Give me one player that you expect to play very, very well this week, not necessarily making your picks yet, but one player that you think will finish in the top five or ten, and then give me one player that is kind of off the radar that will play well, and then maybe give me one that you might think that is on the radar right now that won't play well. All right, so just as far as – I'm just going to list off just a couple of guys here. Like I said, not my official picks yet, but just some guys I'm looking for. I think Rory and JT are going to play exceptionally well this week, um, just like they did last week. And I expect Xander Shoffley to play well, too. He's played the U.S. Open five times, and his worst finish is probably seventh, is seventh, I believe. So I look forward to that. As far as – let's look here. Who's maybe a guy that I think that maybe probably won't play particularly well this week is – if I had to guess, I'd – I'm just kind of shocked to say this. I'm going to go with Colin Moore Cowell. I mean, he missed the cut at the Memorial. He finished 40th at the Charles Schwab, finished 55th at the, at the PGA. So, really, since his uh, since his fifth place hold, when he holed out from the bumper with Rory at the Masters, he, he, has, he finished 26th at RBC and hasn't played very played horribly since that. So, maybe he's working through something. Maybe he's gaming up for this week. Because it does seem like a course that would suit up for him. I, just, I, I think that when you compare all those guys, I think that there's more players around him like the JTs, the Sam Burns, is uh, Spieth, even that, I think are going to have better week than Morris Cowell does this week. I think Sam Burns is going to be kind of a, a guy to watch this week. I think he's really good and uh, finished fourth this week. Uh, I don't know. He, he seems like he's on the radar. JT and Rory, that's easy. You know, well, we know they're on the radar. Uh, the guy that, oh, that we're going to probably struggle, I hate to say it, but I think it'll be Phil. Um it could be tough for Phil to have a good week. I don't know how he possibly could. He's played no golf. Um, it's just going to be a hard week for him. Yeah, I'm looking for Scotty Scheffler to definitely bounce back uh, after he played not his best golf at the PGA. Justin Thomas, Rory, those are obvious. It'll be interesting to see how John Rahm plays because he's been on and off so far this year. Um, but guys, I don't know if I can do it again, but I was on the Patrick Cantlay bandwagon at the PGA and he burned me. So I, I think I might go on that bandwagon one more time and, and then – you know, let him go forever uh, if he burns me again. But we'll see. I think that Brookline could allow some shorter hitters in the golf tournament like a Matthew Fitzpatrick. Um, I think that guys like Jordan Spieth and Morikawa are a little bit of fool's gold this week. Uh, and so we'll, we'll have all of that preview Later on in the week, probably Wednesday afternoon, if I had to guess, guys. Um, but before we let you go, Woody, please tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank. You know, I was I was chatting with the, the one of the owners the other day about about the uh, member guests they're having out at Gallardia this week, and he was all excited about getting his game in shape to go play with this. That shows you this is the chairman of their bank, but he's a golf nut. That's why I love Quail Creek Bank. They're family. They're people that take care of people. They know you by your first name. It's a great bank. They love golf, so that's why we love them, Sam. 
Yes, absolutely thrilled to have Quail Creek Bank on with us. Guys, great job today. It was great having Woody on, or Willie on. We got a bunch of Woodies out at Oak Tree, by the way, Woody. We got Woody, (laughs) Woody, and Woody out at Oak Tree. Uh, It's tough to keep track of all of them, but thank you so much to Willie Wood for coming on. That was a great, great interview with him, and guys, thank you as always for not only coming on the podcast, but the radio show yesterday. Please go follow at the 73rd Hole on Twitter, at 73rd Hole on Instagram, and give us a five-star rating and a review. And if you have any questions to ask us, leave them in the review section below our podcast. This has been the 73rd hole for Colby Powell, who is not here today. Happy anniversary, Colby. Uh, Taylor Williams and Jim Woodward. This has been Sam Humphreys here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.